So when you come to Ephesians chapter 1 and you read in verse 4, just as God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, and you go on in verse 5 and you see that God has predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, do you believe that? I mean, do you believe that God chose us, that he actually predestined us to be adopted as sons by Jesus Christ? Or do you think that's not what it says? Are you like Walls and Dongel and why I'm not a Calvinist saying, no, even though it's pretty obvious what the Calvinists would say about this passage and what it would appear to be saying, at least according to them, that's not what it says at all. Well, I hope that when you read Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, you don't argue with the clear teaching of the text. Not that God chose Jesus specifically and that you just happen to be a part of that choosing because you had faith in Christ, but that you see that God chose you sovereignly as a Christian to humble yourself before the Lord. We're going to examine what Walls and Dongel say about Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 today on Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. Welcome you back today to Sinners and Saints. Adam Kalustian here with John Sautel and Moses Jambazian. We're pastors at uh, local United Reformed Churches, Ontario, Pasadena, and Diamond Bar, California. Glad you're with us as we're continuing to go through this book, Why I'm Not a Calvinist by Jerry Walls and Joseph Dongel. We are taking some time here to go through some passages which the authors address in order to refute the classic Calvinistic interpretation of them, supposedly, in their view, supposedly, defending the uh, truths of God's sovereign electing uh, love for his people. Now, uh, of course, we come to this passage today, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, and they'll uh, bring chapter 2, verse 8 into the discussion also because... um, in 1, 4, and 5, as we read in the intro, just as God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, and Ephesians 2, 8, where uh, we have been saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Calvinists, of course, arguing that uh, the gift of which Paul is speaking is the faith which God's elect have been given entirely by his grace. So they say, look, we've got to address these passages because the Calvinists are always trying to use them. Okay, let's start out with the problem in their argument. Again, they have to dance around what's painfully clear in the text. What's painfully clear in the text? At least in my Bible, what's obvious in my text in Ephesians 1 verse 4 is that you are elect, you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, what they're going to say is, aha, not so fast. Don't start thinking in personal, individual election categories, even though Paul does. What you need to do is see the key to this text is understanding that Christ is the elect one. And you're only elect insofar as you are in Christ. See? Now, as they wave the magic wand over the passage, basically what they think they just did is eliminate the fact that there are actually individuals who are chosen by God unto salvation. They're saying there's one chosen, and that's Christ. That's the basic argument here. And then they go, the way you get election is by really 
putting your faith in Jesus Christ and being incorporated into him, and by virtue then of being engrafted into him by faith, then you uh, partake of his election in, in, in a broad corporate sense. And so they would argue from there, then if you want to get that election, you have to go to other passages that deal with faith, uh, since that's the instrument that unites us to Christ and helps us partake of his election. Uh, you need to go find what other passages in Paul deal with faith um, and where that comes from. So they're going to go on to two eight, But that's the beginning of their argument against uh, the Reformed position. That's right. That's why they go to Ephesians 2.8, because they leave it with the question in 1, 4, and 5, you know, Christ is the one who is elect. You know, how do you get in Christ? Well, the argument we always have is is by putting your faith in him. So when they go to 2.8, they want to talk about that because some Calvinists will, you know, stand fast on this verse and this verse alone teaching that, you know, God is the giver of faith. If God is the giver of faith, and the way you get into the elect one, Christ, is only by God's giving you faith, then they're saying then the Calvinists would be right. But they have a different interpretation of 2.8. They say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And they're saying that the gift of God at the end of verse 8 is the salvation that's at the beginning of verse 8. For by grace you have been saved, the salvation which Christ, which uh, God has given you. So they're saying, look, it's not uh, Paul's not teaching here that faith is given by God. Faith is something that you have. Now, look, for my part, I don't think that we need Ephesians 2.8 to say that faith is the gift of God in order for the Calvinistic system to hold true. It doesn't bother me if you want to say that the gift refers to, for you know, reasons of your grammatical argument, if you buy into Walls and Dungale's argument, which I don't. But if you do want to say that the gift of God is the salvation in general, that's fine. There are other places in the scripture which are clear that God gives the faith that, uh, by which we receive the salvation which he has predestined us to receive. If you don't want to get it from Ephesians 2, 8, fine. But I want to return back to Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 and this idea that really Paul's saying that Christ is elect and the fact that he's saying God chose us and that he predestined us, really you have to fill in the blank later. It's only because by faith we've been engrafted into Christ. Well, listen, Paul's got a real problem with communicating clearly if that's what he wanted to say. Because verse 4 doesn't say God chose Christ to be the Savior of those who put their faith in him. It says he chose us. And then verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. This is personal. The end of verse 6, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And I think it's absolutely ridiculous to try and, and, and distract people from the obvious import of Paul's teaching that there is a personal predestination, a personal choosing of God the Father of his people before the foundation of the world to be saved in Christ. As you read chapter 1, starting at verse 3, Paul says, Blessed or praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The same one who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ, who has also, or just as, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So yes, works are being ascribed to the Father, blessing us in Christ, blessing us by having us placed in Christ, giving us a heavenly spiritual blessing. And so this is the key to what Paul is saying that the Ephesian church, and now to this day all believers should rejoice in and praise God for, is that God has been willing to love 
and save people, and to save them not of their own works, but by placing us in Jesus Christ so that it would be his righteousness that would be our righteousness. Well, and also, you don't just rely on Paul. Throughout this series, we've gone to various passages. We've spent a great deal of time in Romans 9, which is really presents a locked-down solid case for individual election. But we've also been to John 6, many passages we go to. Uh, you could also go to other places, such as First uh, Peter 1, where Peter refers to those who he's speaking the gospel to as those who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Or you can go back to other places in Paul. You have, for instance, uh, Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2.13 saying uh, that God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. Now, what all these basic passages reinforce is, and we're not going to deny the point that there is a sense in which we are chosen in Christ from eternity, but... but you cannot deny in the face of all of these separate passages, however, John, Romans, Peter, Thessalonians, that there is such a thing as individual election. God chooses individuals in eternity past unto salvation. This passage cannot be used to mitigate those texts. Yeah, I think of another one in Acts 13 where the Apostle Paul is going about in the early church right at the beginning of the mission to the Gentiles, and it says, all who were appointed to eternal life believed. And the context there is he's preaching to all different kinds of people. You know, he goes typically into the towns, into the synagogue, and on the Sabbath he'll stand up and preach the Lord Jesus Christ from the Old Testament prophets when the prophets are read. And some reject Paul. Uh, Some accept the message that Paul is preaching. And the scripture attributes it to all who were appointed to eternal life believed. And you see this language over and over again in the Testament, in in the scripture. And you come to Ephesians 4, he chose us in him. We've been predestined for adoption of sons by Jesus Christ. This is not speaking of of a, a group in general or of Christ being elected. And if you happen to put your faith and trust in him, then you will be part of the elect group. No, he chose you. And that's why you've come to faith in Christ anyway. John 3, again, to go back to that text, Jesus is talking about the Spirit blowing where it wishes. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. But when it's there, you see it because a person is made alive in Christ. The one who was dead before now puts their faith and trust in him. It's God choosing, predestining. What this does is this gets us back into the issue of these authors and the system of Arminianism in general. How arrogant... How utterly arrogant that you come across, say, a passage so clear as Ephesians 1.4, and your basic perspective encountering this passage is say, oh, how can I explain this passage away so it fits with my predispositions about how God saves? How can I explain this passage in such a way that I get to, I get to safeguard my own uh, chance to choose Jesus? I mean, that is such a ludicrous mindset, and, and it just it fails exegetically at every point. Here they give us a couple little paragraphs to explain away one of, the, one of the clearest passages in the New Testament on the fact that there is such a thing as an individual salvation by God of, of people in eternity past. And, and to me, it just speaks of the overall arrogance. No willingness to interact with other passages, the broader New Testament message, which, which we don't need to prove our point because this passage is so clear, it already does it on its own. But it's as if... They're not going to even entertain how their view completely turns on its head uh, the unbroken message of the New Testament as a whole. 
that to me is arrogance, and that shows again that these people cannot be trusted. Now, I don't want to speak to their intent or motives, but to you, the listener, if you are worried that the Reformed or the Calvinists are denying human activity, let's just assure you, there is no way in which we are doing that. We fully affirm all of what Scripture says, and yes, we do say, just as Scripture does, that man is to have a living, active faith. He is to respond to the gospel. But what we are saying is that that which causes the response is not the will of man initially. It is the working of the Holy Spirit. And so we are saying it is God loving and choosing to save fallen men who are dead in their sins, as you will read in Ephesians 2, and making them alive by the work of the Spirit. And these same men and women, you and us, then respond and have a faith which grasps Christ. But even that faith is the gift of God to you because you do not have what is necessary to respond to God being dead. Everybody's already active before God, active in their rebellion and sin and disobedience. It's only the grace of God which makes us alive to exercise our faith and then in Christ for salvation and then out of gratitude living for him. We've addressed another objection to the historic Protestant teaching, the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination in Ephesians 1 and 2 that were raised in the book, Why I'm Not a Calvinist. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on Sinners and Saints. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge.